Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport. And I'm Cody Toombs. And today we are still talking about Internet Explorer. Can you believe it? I you know what? It was it was the web browser that just would not die. And in that way, the series shall mirror it. In the last episode, we talked about the start of Microsoft's uh, anti-competitive shenanigans. And we talked about Internet Explorer 3.0 coming out, which was the first version with Java and ActiveX and a bunch of other stuff. So we're continuing story now. By August of 1996, Netscape Navigator still controlled around 80% of the browser market. So at this point, Microsoft is still nowhere close to dominant in the web browser market at this point. I know we've talked about Spyglass a few times, which was the company licensing the Mosaic web browser and engine to Microsoft and Netscape and a bunch of other companies. And I want to read a small snippet of a blog post by Eric Sink, who was the former project lead for Spyglass Mosaic. He said, quote, The time between IE3 and IE4 was a defining period for Spyglass. It was clear that the browser war had become a two-player race. Even with our IPO stash, we didn't have the funding to keep up with Netscape. What was interesting was the day we learned that Netscape didn't have the funding to keep up with Microsoft. For the development of IE 4.0, a new program manager appeared. His name was Scott Isaacs, and I started seeing him at the HTML Standards group meetings. At one of those meetings, we sat down for a talk, which was a major turning point for me and for Spyglass. Scott told me that the Internet Explorer team at Microsoft had over 1,000 people. I was stunned. That was 50 times the size of the Spyglass browser team. It was almost as many people as Netscape had in their whole company. I could have written the rest of the history of web browsers on that day. No other outcomes were possible. After that day, it seemed like Spyglass declined fast. The company turned its focus on the non-PC browser market. Things shuffled around. I left Spyglass in January of 1997 and founded my own company. I left with no regrets and no bitterness. Spyglass was an incredible learning experience for me. It's almost a funny notion to say the non-PC browser market. Yeah, Spyglass pivoted to like embedded stuff. Um, like they, I know they had something with internet connected TV browsers. That's what was happening with the company that basically kicked off the web browser industry was just in a, in a few years, they went from the complete market leader to hopelessly undermanned compared to Microsoft and to a lesser extent Netscape. Yeah. And then their pivot was to something that would ultimately prove to be one of the worst things ever attempted yeah they got bought up a few years later Um, they didn't last very long so meanwhile at microsoft at a private meeting in march 1997 according to later court testimony from ibm a microsoft executive offered ibm a lower price for windows licensing if they didn't include any other web browsers on their pcs they eventually came to an agreement without that limitation but Still, like Microsoft was really trying to keep Netscape and any other web browsers out of Windows computers. Which isn't all that different than the strategy we heard time and time again for uh, Windows itself. Yeah. 
So we've talked about Microsoft making those kinds of deals with IBM and Compaq and some other companies, but now we're going to talk about Apple. So Apple announced in August of 1997 that Internet Explorer would be the default web browser on the Mac moving forward. Before that point, Macs shipped with both Internet Explorer and Netscape, but Netscape was the default web browser. And they announced this at Macworld 1997, which I believe was the first time Steve Jobs was on stage for Apple after he came back to the company after Apple acquired Next. So I will send you the video. I'm actually a little surprised that Macs shipped with both Internet Explorer and Netscape. Typically, it was just more normal for them to ship with one or another, whether it was whoever they were friendly with or got paid by or something. With Microsoft making these deals, a lot of PCs were like that, definitely. But yeah, it, it is definitely a little bit more weird on the Mac because Apple did not have its own web browser at this point. We don't get Safari until years later. Oh, yeah. And this video and all of the other sources are in the show notes if you want to go check any of this out. Um, this is also just Apple's Macworld 1997 press conference, so there's a lot of videos of this on YouTube. All right, you ready to start? Yep. Okay, start in three, two, one, go. Now, I'd like to talk about meaningful partners. Apple lives in an ecosystem, and it needs help from other partners. It needs to help other partners. And relationships that, uh, that are destructive don't help anybody in this industry as it is today. So during the last several weeks, we have looked at some of the relationships. And uh, one has stood out uh, as a relationship that uh, hasn't been going so well, but had the potential, I think, to be great for both companies. And I'd like to uh, announce one of our first partnerships today, a very, very meaningful one. And that is one with Microsoft. I'd like to take you through this. Um, the discussions actually began uh, because there were some uh, patent disputes. And uh, rather than, uh, I know. Rather than uh, repeating history, I'm extremely proud of both companies that they have resolved uh, these differences in a very, very professional way. And this has led, I think, to uh, an overall relationship that we're announcing today that's got several parts to it and we're extremely excited about. First part of it is a patent settlement and cross-license. Uh, the two companies have reached a full cross-license for all patents uh, that exist and for patents that are filed within the next five years. And uh, it has been a, uh, a very serious patent settlement. The second part of this is Microsoft is committing to release Microsoft Office on Macintosh for the next five years. They are going to release the same number of, uh, of major releases as they release on Windows during that time. 
Their first release uh, uh, is going, they're, they're going to target to have it out uh, near the end of the year. It might slip a few months into next year, but they're working real hard on it, and it looks very, very good. Next, we have taken a look uh, at browsers out there, and Apple has decided... Apple has decided to make Internet Explorer its default browser on the Macintosh. Since we believe in choice, uh, since we believe in choice, we're going to be shipping other internet browsers as well on the Macintosh, and the user can, of course, change their default should they choose to. But uh, we believe that Internet Explorer is a really good browser, and uh, we think it's going to make a fine default browser. Java. We are going to be collaborating with Microsoft on Java uh, to ensure that uh, we can get the best from each other and ensure that uh, there's compatibility between our virtual machines. And uh, we think that uh, that will serve everybody's interests. And lastly, Microsoft is making an investment in Apple. Microsoft is buying $150 million worth of Apple stock at market price. It is non-voting shares. And they've agreed... agreed not to sell them for at least three years. So what this means is, is that Microsoft is going to be part of the game with us as we restore this company back to health, have a vested interest in that stock price going up. We're going to be working together on Microsoft Office, on Internet Explorer, on Java. And I think that uh, it's going to lead to a, a very healthy relationship. So it's a package announcement today. We're very, very happy about it. We're very, very excited about it. That's kind of insane to watch. Like, I've, I don't know if I've seen another time where Steve Jobs gets booed repeatedly and that loudly on stage. Mm -hmm. Like, he was having to do the, like, talk over the booing thing. It was, yep. it was, it was bad. And and as soon as he said, you can change the browser, and then there was all the clapping, you could see mm -hmm. it on Steve was like, okay, guys, all right, cut it out. Yeah, and you can just, you can tell that is the moment where he's shoveling it. Full oh, scale, yeah. he knows he's shoveling it. Everything he's saying is is stuff he had to say. The deal wasn't going to happen if he didn't stand up on stage and, you know, sort of sort of take his medicine and say what he needs to say in order to to meet his obligations. And he needed to make it feel convincing enough without necessarily, uh, you know, shilling, except it's straight up shilling. When Apple acquired Next around that time, they were very close from just totally collapsing and filing bankruptcy. And this $150 million deal, I don't know enough about like Apple's financials and their you know corporate structure and everything to say this for certain, but this is credited as the main reason Apple survived. Like that, that is a lot of money. That Microsoft mm -hmm. dumped on Apple 
This was also Microsoft pitched this as like evidence they weren't completely anti-competitive because they're like, look, look, United States government, we're directly funding a competitor. Look at how cool we are. Don't sue us. (laughs) Well, and it wasn't just claiming to be anti-competitive. It was claiming that there was another operating system on the market that that was relevant. And, you know, if you have to literally pay for the existence of a competitor, uh, you know, yeah, maybe they're not that relevant. It's very funny. Like I was aware of this event, but I hadn't actually watched the video before I was researching this. And like my like mouth was just open like a solid (laughs) minute when they're like booing the crap out of Steve Jobs. Yeah, that is a rough moment in history. Honestly, almost everything in that video is is just filled with rough moments. Like I said, uh, the beginning of that ages so poorly. You know, him talking about patent disputes, kind of implying that that's a really bad thing. And lo and behold, they're they become the biggest patent trolls. You know, they're obviously like weak and desperate for any sort of success and attention. And then now Apple is one of the biggest companies ever. So many weird reversals in history from what this presentation showed. So that deal with Microsoft involved Microsoft investing $150 million into Apple in non-voting shares, which means that they couldn't control what Apple does. It was basically just a check that they could cash in later if they wanted to sell those shares in a few years. Mm -hmm. And Steve Jobs mentioned Internet Explorer would be the default browser on Macs. What he didn't say in that event, and we learn later in the antitrust lawsuit is I I don't know if Microsoft ended up doing this or if it was just a plan that executives were thinking about, but there were internal memos at Microsoft that the company was going to threaten to stop developing Microsoft Office for Mac unless Internet Explorer was the default web browser. I could kind of see that being part of a strategy, yeah. I don't know if they ever went to Apple and did that, but there were memos that they were at least thinking about doing it. So that was in August of 1997. On October 1st of 1997, Microsoft released Internet Explorer 4.0. So we got the next big major update. This added a new Explorer bar on the left side for adding uh, like bookmarks to websites and other information. There is also an offline mode for viewing web pages you previously visited. One of the big features in this release was something called active channels, which these are kind of difficult to explain, but they were kind of like widgets on that sidebar that would show information from websites you wanted to see info from. So like, for example, you could add a active channel for, for Bloomberg news and like little snippets of news from Bloomberg would show up on the side of your web browser. The, those widgets would just sort of refresh every once in a while and you'd see it that way. Right. We didn't exactly have RSS or anything like that at the time. Yeah, and this was this was sort of a larger push that was going on also competing with Netscape where there was a new focus on like they kind of called it push content. It wasn't really like like 
<laughs> push notifications yet. It was more just like content that would be served to you automatically was kind of this new hot idea at the time. I'm going to read from Microsoft's announcement that explains how these work. Uh, Microsoft said, quote, Microsoft Internet Explorer 4.0 support for active channel technology delivers exciting customized and interactive web content from the world's leading websites right to users' fingertips. For example, if a user subscribes to active channel content offering up-to-date sports information but is interested only in the latest baseball scores, he or she can easily elect to receive only that specific content. Users can also control the amount and timing of content delivered so they only receive the specialized content they want when they want it. Quote. And you could also put that content on your Windows desktop. So this was this was the active desktop feature in Windows that showed up. I think I think it was available on Windows 95, but it was also really big in Windows 98. Some of the companies that set up active channels included CNET, CBS, Bloomberg News, Disney Online, NBC, and Nickelodeon. There were hundreds of major websites doing this. What Microsoft didn't say in that announcement was that companies could have basically like a priority placement in this active channels menu. So, you know, when you looked at the recommended active channels someone could show up higher in the list than others. And the main way to do that was for you to use proprietary Microsoft extensions in your sites like ActiveX that would look broken in other web browsers. So if you intentionally made your website worse for other web browsers, Microsoft could give you like a higher ranking in this list. Like your, your content would be more heavily promoted in Internet Explorer. Nice. Internet Explorer 4 was promoted alongside and sometimes bundled with Outlook Express, which was a new simplified email client for Windows that replaced Internet Explorer's older built-in email client. Before this point, Internet Explorer had a built-in email application, just like Netscape did. And starting with this update, Microsoft split it into its own application, which became Outlook Express. So that's another change in this release. And usually Outlook Express and Internet Explorer 4 were bundled together. Internet Explorer 4 was released on Windows 95 first. People using a Mac or a PC with Windows 3.1 had to wait several months, just like with earlier updates. So that's fun. Um, that's especially fun after <laughs> Apple just signed a deal to make Internet Explorer the default web browser. Now they have to wait several months for updates. I think they already knew that was going to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they took the blood money. So late 1997 is also when all of the government's investigations into Microsoft come to a head. So this whole time for the past few years, the United States has been either investigating or like in discussions with Microsoft about their business practices around both Windows and Internet Explorer. They did have a lawsuit in, I believe it was 1994, that was focused on how Microsoft could bundle other products with Windows. But there was still this ongoing investigation about how Internet Explorer was competing with other web browsers and if that was unfair or not. 
So in October of 1997, the United States Justice Department asked a federal judge to order Microsoft to stop forcing Internet Explorer to be installed alongside Windows. The Department of Justice also wanted Microsoft to stop blocking PC makers from including other web browsers. So they knew that thing was going on where Microsoft was going to all the companies and being like, hey, you can't have Netscape on your computer or you can't put Netscape on the desktop. Microsoft denied that it had ever prevented Netscape from shipping with PCs, but did say PC makers couldn't remove Internet Explorer icon from the desktop. I like this quote. Microsoft said, quote, Ford would not allow one of its dealers to pull the factory-installed engine out of a Mustang and substitute a Chevy engine. We're simply preserving the customer experience with the product we've built. It's not the craziest argument. It's not a great argument, but it's not totally out, out of left field. Yeah, we'll get into this a little bit later, but that argument kind of depends on if you can consider Internet Explorer a core component of Windows which at the time of Windows 95's release, it was not. Mm-hmm. It was not part of that package. And uh, we're still in 97, so Windows 98 is not out yet, which would include Internet Explorer. So the judge that kind of takes control of this investigation into Microsoft is Judge Thomas Penfield Jackson. And on December 11th, 1997, he issued a preliminary injunction banning Internet Explorer from being included with Windows. And because that was in December of 97 and the release of Windows 98 was coming up, it seemed like that update could not have Internet Explorer in it. However, that was overruled by the Court of Appeals on the DC Circuit on May 12th, 1998, which I believe was a few days before Windows 98 shipped, if I'm not mistaken. It was around that time. So that didn't really end up mattering. A few days later, on May 18th of 1998, the United States officially began its antitrust lawsuit against Microsoft. So, we made it. Hmm. We made it to the big lawsuit. Technically, this was two lawsuits. There was a lawsuit filed by the attorneys general of 20 U.S. states and the District of Columbia. And there was a lawsuit led by the Department of Justice, which if For anyone not familiar with how the United States works, which is also some people in the U.S., the Department of Justice is like federal, so that's the entire country, but also individual states were suing Microsoft. And because those lawsuits were so similar, everyone just decided to just merge them, just do them all in one go. So the initial complaint that started this lawsuit from the Justice Department it's pretty long, but I want to read some sections of it because it's it's really fascinating, especially from my perspective where I'm used to government officials not really understanding technology at all. <laughs> like I think we've all seen every time like Mark Zuckerberg or you know Tim Cook or whoever gets dragged in front of Congress and some not technically literate Congress people ask them questions that uh, aren't helpful. It's, and sometimes the questions just devolve into tech support. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm my expectations for this kind of thing is very low, but this antitrust complaint is actually, it, it seems pretty level headed. Again, the entire thing is in the show notes. If you want to read it, it's, it's pretty interesting. I'm just going to read some sections of it. So the complaint said, quote, 
This is an action under Sections 1 and 2 of the Sherman Act to restrain anti-competitive conduct by defendant Microsoft Corporation, the world's largest supplier of computer software for personal computers, and to remedy the effects of its past unlawful conduct. Microsoft possesses, and for several years has possessed, monopoly power in the market for personal computer operating systems. Microsoft's Windows operating systems are used on over 80% of Intel-based PCs, the dominant type of PC in the United States. More than 90% of new Intel-based PCs are shipped with a version of Windows pre-installed. PC manufacturers, often referred to as Original Equipment Manufacturers, or OEMs, have no commercially reasonable alternative to Microsoft operating systems for the PCs that they sell. Accordingly, the most significant potential threat to Microsoft's operating system monopoly is not from a direct frontal assault by existing or new operating systems, but from new software products that may support or themselves become alternative platforms to which applications can be written and which can be used in conjunction with multiple operating systems, including but not limited to Windows. To protect its valuable Windows monopoly against potential competitive threats, and to extend its operating system monopoly into other software markets, Microsoft has engaged in a series of anti-competitive activities. Microsoft's conduct includes agreements tying other Microsoft products to Windows, exclusionary agreements precluding companies from distributing, promoting, buying, or using products of Microsoft software competitors or potential competitors, and exclusionary agreements restricting the right of companies to provide services or resources to Microsoft software competitors or potential competitors. Collectively, Microsoft's contracts with OEMs, internet service providers, and ICPs have unreasonably restrained and, unless enjoined, will continue to unreasonably restrain competition in the market for internet browsers. They artificially increase the share of the market held by Microsoft Internet Explorer, and they threaten to tip the market permanently to Internet Explorer, not because OEMs or PC customers have freely chosen Microsoft's product in a competitive marketplace, but because of the illegal exercise of monopoly power by Microsoft. Neither the antitrust laws nor this action seeks to inhibit Microsoft from competing on the merits by innovation or otherwise. Rather, the complaint challenges only Microsoft's concerted attempts to maintain its monopoly in operating systems and to achieve dominance in other markets, not by innovation or other competition on the merits, but by tie-ins, exclusive dealing contracts, and other anti-competitive agreements that deter innovation, exclude competition, and rob customers of their right to choose among competing alternatives. There's one part in there that that sits funny with me because obviously this is all basically true and accurate and history more than shows that to be true and accurate one thing that is very funny to me though is it sort of displays the biggest mistake microsoft made they were anti-competitive they didn't have to be in the time and this is something you really would have just had to be using them at the time Netscape was not good. Like, it just genuinely was not that good. And uh, yeah, there was a time where it was okay, or even, dare I say, pretty good. But Microsoft's Internet Explorer just honestly excelled way beyond it. And it wasn't an anti-competitive thing. They Well, I, depending on how you want to argue what anti-competitive is, I guess. But they just actually made the better browser 
for a period in time. And they could have honestly kind of won this fight without being anti-competitive. And then there would not have really been much of a case. Or they would have had a much harder time proving their case. It's only because Microsoft screwed up and went too hard that this happened. When we were watching the like the CNET video about the Internet Explorer beta, for example, that was one case of people not really related to Microsoft being like, this is a pretty cool web browser. Like it was, it did seem like for a while, Internet Explorer was like actually a pretty good product. And again, it was free because Microsoft was subsidizing with Windows, but whatever. Really, besides the whole ActiveX thing, which I, I still can't get over, like there wasn't really anything like overtly bad about it. And I did I did take a lot of sections from that that is in order, but there's a lot of stuff in between there that I skipped because we've already been talking about a lot of the specific cases of Microsoft being anti-competitive. But when I was reading this, what really stood out to me is that everyone in this situation, the United States, Microsoft, and probably Netscape, realized that the web is the next big platform. Like, this is what is going to matter in five and ten years. Microsoft, in response to that realization, is making sure they are still the dominant leader in whatever comes next. Of course, that ended up being completely true. Like the web did become a huge platform for applications on the desktop and later mobile. Yeah, at the time, there was definitely... The the notion was there. People certainly understood. Well, I, I shouldn't say people. This was one of those things where the enthusiasts, uh, the professionals, it was really only among people who kind of spent a lot of their time using computers every day. They were the ones who saw the web as being the future at the time. And it was widely understood among that group. Yeah, your average person who just had to use a computer for their day job or something, they this was not their thinking yet. Obviously, things would change a lot. So in that complaint and the government's entire argument against Microsoft is based on Microsoft breaking the Sherman Act. So I wanted to explain that a little bit here for anyone who doesn't know this. The Sherman Antitrust Act was passed in 1890. It's a federal U.S. law that prohibits anti-competitive agreements and any practices that monopolize a given market. It's mostly focused on situations like this, where companies making direct action and deals to harm another competitor. It doesn't outlaw what are called innocent monopolies, which is a very funny phrase to me. But basically, like if if you're the only company that provides a certain product and it just happened to be that way, the U.S. government will not go after you. They're just focused on on cases like this. Well, you know, it's we do have a lot of laws like that, even, you know, down to like murder versus manslaughter you know there's a, a intent and uh planning play a, a big role in how uh in how we determine who we're going to go after how they're going to be punished things like that yeah it is it is really hard to define some of this especially in this case not only because 
they're applying a law from 1890 to Microsoft, but also because to get this argument that Microsoft is being anti-competitive, you kind of have to have a narrow definition of some stuff. Like I was reading one opinion from, I think it was a law professor who was pointing out that the justice department was kind of using a little bit of a narrow definition of what a market is. Like they're, they're defining the market as Intel based PCs, which were obviously the most popular kind of computer in the U S but there were other computers. The law was proposed and passed by Senator John Sherman from Ohio, which is where the name came from as a result of growing public hostility towards large corporations that were monopolizing certain industries and raising prices on essential products. I can't possibly imagine what that's like. Hmm. Definitely not having any issues with that right now. No, sir. Not at all. And the main reason the Sherman Act was a thing was like the main company that was causing this problem was Standard Oil, which at that point in history was controlling nearly all of the oil refining capability of the entire United States. Like they were they were doing the classic monopoly thing of buying out its competitors and then the companies that didn't want to get bought out, they were just ruined because Standard Oil would set their prices far too low for others to be competitive. Eventually, in 1911, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Standard Oil was violating the Sherman Act, which led to it being broken up into several regional companies. The other big use of the Sherman Act is in 1984, when the U.S. government broke up AT&T, or the Bell System, and they broke into a bunch of smaller companies. And that was happening because AT&T had a complete monopoly on both local and long-distance telephone calls in the United States, as well as most of the equipment for making those calls. And the, the extra fun part about all of this is that pretty much all the big companies that get broken up under the Sherman Act just merge back together over a couple decades. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the companies that came from Standard Oil being broken up merged back together and became ExxonMobil. And most of the companies that came from AT&T are now AT&T and Verizon. So not a big success rate on the Sherman Act. Nope. Like we're we're not really that good at breaking up these companies and we're especially not good at making sure they don't <laughs> merge back together. It's kind of like every time we go to war with some country or not every time. We've we've actually learned our lesson on this and now handle it very differently, but there was a point in history where our whole strategy pretty much was go into an area, beat them up and then leave them to fend for themselves or you know, ignore them, forget them, whatever. And yeah, we we caught on that that's not the best thing to do. Sometimes the smart move is to keep paying attention and do something if if things start going wrong. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we're done for now. We'll we'll talk more about the legal stuff. Um Cody, do you have anything you want to plug, perhaps? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. So, as usual, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Cody underscore Tombs. Yeah, everyone should be following Cody by now. He, 
He's done this enough. And TechTales is also on Twitter at TechTales Show and on Mastodon at TechTales at MAS.TO. All the sources and the Macworld video we talked about are in the show notes, along with donation links if you want to support the show. And thanks for listening, and we will be back in your podcast feed soon. Goodbye, everybody.